Hello and welcome back to Blood and Ashes. This is episode 20. I'm your host Mo and I'm joined once again by my good friends Jody. Ahoy. And Billy. Arr, mateys. <laughs> is, that, is that a greeting or just, or just an acknowledgement of being greeted? <laughs> Both. Oh, wo- woefully unprepared for that greeting today. Ahoy is actually hello in uh, Slovakian and in Polish. A lot of Eastern Europeans say ahoy as hello. Amazing. I've never known it. I thought it was like a pirate thing my whole life. You know, like ahoy, matey. Yes. No, it's you know, an hmm. actual word. Hmm. I want to use that more often. To all our listeners east of Germany, ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, gents, episode 20. It's a bit of a mini milestone for us. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. No. 20 is a number. By <laughs> Jove, he's cracked it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so proud of us for um, being able to fit this this significant effort into our busy parenting lifestyles. I mean, it is no mean feat. No. Uh, hats off to all the regular podcasts that I listen to all the time that you know always speak of their kids and stuff. And I don't know how some of them, like the McElroy brothers, can record like five different podcasts and fit it all into their week. That is insane. Um, but I'm proud of us. Well done, guys. Well done yep. for sticking with it. It's been uh, it's been challenging, but we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> we've done it. Like, congratulate the kids for playing three hours of Xbox while Dad records. They're, they're really <laughs> suffering. <laughs> Well done, boys. Locked him in the bedroom with an Xbox. <laughs> Shut up. Dad's working. Um, it's actually got me thinking like, wow, 20 episodes. Shit, what are we going to do next? Um, which, you know, is maybe a little bit premature. but I would say so. I am already already casting my mind in that direction. But we'll see. Before we continue on with our charge through all of these books and the next series of books that I've yet to discuss with you guys, uh, let's take a look back at our checkered past and jump into our callback section. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Yay. Ooh, I thought you were going to go deep dive into our checkered past. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for exciting stuff. <laughs> I won't drag those skeletons out into the, into the open. Uh, they can stay right where they are. Um, Mostly because I'm involved with a lot of this. Yes. <laughs> okay, so bear with me, boys. We've got a couple meaty ones here. Let's start with an easy one. We were wondering about what happens with the Shinarans that get sent to Jehana and are told by Moran to wait for more orders. Turns out those orders never arrive. No. I had made an offhanded comment that I think when they later encounter the prophet that he is from, uh, where are they, Gildan or something, and I uh, set myself up for a major correction in the future. Turns out, because they were sitting there idle, that is when Masima started preaching as the prophet and later styled himself as the prophet of the dragon. And when they do interact with him in the future, it is in Gildan. So Moraine had sent those Shinaran soldiers there and they just sat there and festered until Nynaeve and Elaine run into Uno in a town and he takes them to um, Masima. 
uh, and they have their interactions with them. And after that, Uno actually helps Nynaeve and Elaine sort of get out of Dodge while the people of the dragon or the dragon sworn, while they riot around that area. Uh, and he accompanies them all the way with the Shinaran lances, all the way back to um, Saladar. And mm-hmm. there they join uh, Gareth Brine and the uh, Aes Sedai army being trained at Saladar, and Uno takes on the responsibility of training some of the soldiers. And he acts as a messenger in the last battle. Uh, he's like a solid, entrenched part of their army, and I think he even gets promoted to captain or something in that thing. So to answer your question, Joe, what happens to them in Johanna? Nothing. They get <laughs> left alone, and they go nuts. At least Masima does. But he didn't go nuts. He was already nuts by the time. Yeah, he was well on the nut road. He's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I mean, is this, is this Moraine dropping the ball? Did she just, like, forget about them or just send them because she really didn't know what to do with them? Just like, well, fucking go hang out there. I have no idea. Maybe she had a plan for them, but as we know, you know, something happens to Moraine down the track, so maybe her intentions were never um, followed through on because she was basically knocked off knocked off the board right she was not a viable piece anymore so but could just be oversight who knows Hmm. then callback number two this one i call five pound trout (laughs) (laughs) five pound trout now Vili, you were very upset with robert jordan for even suggesting that moraine could catch a five pound trout with her hand i had to go check up on some (laughs) <laughs> some uh, some flora and fauna facts. Or <laughs> spamming us with trout facts. Trout facts. Hashtag <laughs> trout facts. Um, so I'm going to quickly read off a couple records for largest <laughs> trout ever caught. <laughs> That's why everyone's here, Moritz. So let's have it. Everyone is here for the trout facts. I mean, sideline wheel of time. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly intrigued right now. Are <laughs> you? Okay, well, strap in, buddy. You're on a... You're on the rocket ship to Trout City. Brook Trout, the first one. World record, 14 pounds. That's a big fish. Sure is. Um, Golden Trout, not so big, but 11 pounds. A Bull Trout, 32 pounds. And a Cutthroat Trout, 41 pounds. Those names sound oddly like made up. terms (laughs) i definitely did not just make this up (laughs) um but here you go vil rainbow trout what do you think is the biggest rainbow trout ever caught i get big 23 pounds try 48 jeez that's that's a big fish so suddenly moraine's five pound trout doesn't seem too bad i mean the way that they catch them that's not you know with a fly and line and you know they're hanging over a rock and you're quite right like i mean how big is a trout going to be hanging out under the rock that they are on um but i think i can give rj enough leeway now to say that he wasn't just a a shitty fisherman or like making up things maybe and in my defense the pound kilogram thing is uh swayed my mind because a five kilogram trout is a decent trout well, that's a different story. Mm, yes. yes. Yes, it's a different unit of measure. <laughs> different unit of measure. And you know we're dealing with all these weird units of measures and spans and Look, leagues. And I think it is universally and... <laughs> universally agreed the units of measure in this story are not our forte. <laughs> it's taken us a lot of time to wrap our heads around them. So, let's move on. 
What does Moraine know about Tel Aranriad? <laughs> the long and short of it, not much. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is, in my research we did, um, or the research that I did, I saw that the, that the last dreamer in the White Tower was Korean Nadel, who is long since dead. She kept her notes and her knowledge and the stuff that she learned about it quite secret as well, but somehow Varen came into possession uh, of both the notes and the, uh, the you know, the white, well, not the white, but the, the speckled stone terangriel that um, she eventually bestows on Egwene to, to practice her dreaming. Um, and Varen doesn't give, I mean, she gives Egwene the terangriel to go practice, but she, she doesn't even give Egwene the notes. She keeps those notes to herself. So, you know, it's hundreds of years since that Aes Sedai died. Only Varen has it, and she's not even sharing it with the person that she is entrusting with going to study them. So I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, it is not common knowledge. And it should be said as well that the Aiel wise ones regarded Koreanen as uh, an absolute novice. Like she knew nothing about what she was doing, and she was an Aes Sedai that spent her life studying it. Hmm. So suffice it to say that the vast majority of the Aes Sedai might know about its existence and its sort of general being, like how it connects a bunch of worlds and stuff, but beyond that, or even that, they might not know much about. And all they know is that you need to be absolutely on your toes and wary of it because literally anything can go down there. All right. So that is probably why Moraine just gives the really, really broad advice, you know, just be very careful of dreams when she says that to Perrin. That's another reason why the Forsaken look at these Aes Sedai as children. So just yes. really, they know nothing. Oh, they're not thousands of years old. <laughs> they haven't learned <laughs> these things that we've forgotten. No. Joe, your interpretation of the relationship between Tel, Ar- Tel Aran Riyadh and the Wolf Dream is also correct. The Wolf Dream is Tel Aran Riyadh. Mm. It is the central world that connects all the different realities, like so all the multiple dimensions and realities of like the portal stone worlds and all that sort of stuff connects to the one Tel Aran Riyadh. It is sort of like the central hub uh, where all these other realities manifest in for, for split seconds. Call it a gamer's lobby, if you will. Yes, sure. <laughs> that sure. can kill you. <laughs> Unlike most gaming lobbies, you can die. Um, and then there is also, we, we touched on briefly what a dream shard is. And a mm. dream shard is, like you said, like a subfolder of the dream world, basically, um, that a person can um, use to pull other people into. And who, whoever's dream it is, whoever uh, generates the dream shard has heightened abilities in that dream shard. Mm. So that must be why Ishamal is so fond of pulling people into those dream shards for meetings. And it just reinforces my theory that, you know, like the dark friend social and stuff was, was actually held in a dream shard that he was controlling. And in there he could be flying, you know, hovering above because even in the age of legends, they couldn't fly. But mm. in the, in, you know, in the dark friend social, he was hovering above the head of the Madral and stuff. Um, and here's a thing that I never, ever knew. If I knew it, I certainly forgot it. But the heroes of the horn live in Tel Aran Riyadh. They wait there for the call. And if they are ever pulled out of Tel Aran Riyadh, they are then killed forever. 
but through some fluke, that is exactly what Elaine does to Brigitte, but the water bond actually protects the heroes of the horn from dying. So in theory, Rand could go into Tel Aranriad, pull Arthur Hawkwing, for example, out of there, bond him as a water, and there he is, Arthur Hawkwing, walking the world along with Brigitte Silverbow and Gadel Kane and all those people. Like, that can be done. Obviously, they would lose all their super ghost powers that they used to such great effect oh, well. in Fulme, but, um, you know, you'd have some pretty potent warriors at your disposal. There's rules that govern the interaction with people in, in Tel Aran Riyadh, um, but Brigitte actually routinely ignores them <laughs> and spies on the Forsaken and stuff and feeds back information to, I think it is to Elaine and the other girls as they as they use the World of Dreams. So yeah, that was really interesting. I didn't realize that, you know, they're right there and like they could be seeing what the people are doing there, but just hiding. Now. <laughs> Is it something about scrubbing pots? No. No. Oh. Dark hounds. Oh, dark hounds. Oh, sweet. Dark hounds. So the description of a dark hound is that they look like large dogs or wolves. Um, and in the book, in that chapter, it said that the hounds hunting Rand were heavy-shouldered, thick neck, massive head, and waist-high. Uh, its teeth seemed to shine like wet silver, um, which might be just a sort of hint at the fact that their saliva is deadly poisonous. You know, all the dark hounds, their saliva is poisonous, even to the touch. Um, and like you said, Joe, Balefire is the only re- reliable way to kill them. Uh, which is what Rand uses in that instance. An argument against those being darkhounds is neither when Rand is killing that one darkhound nor when Perrin notices a smell in Jarrah does anyone use the word sulfur because the the darkhounds are often accompanied by the sort of smell of sulfur. Isn't it when they when they walk their their paw prints burn into the ground or something like that? Or am I confusing? No, no, that's correct. They leave no tracks whatsoever unless they step on stone, ah, in which yes. case they melt paw prints. And they can only be stopped by running water, which is exactly what Rand runs into at the end of that chapter. He runs into a stream. Hmm, so the fact right. that they're mentioning running water, uh, the size of the dogs, the shining wet teeth, um, and then that passage of Perrin when he arrives in Jarrah. Now, Vili, you and I, in the last episode, we immediately said, was that Peyton Fane? Was it the White Cloaks? And then later, when we were talking about Dark Hounds, he said, oh, maybe Perrin smelled Dark Hounds. Mm. Well, this is that passage again, and listen to this and see if it fits. For an instant, Perrin's, Perrin's nose caught another odor, one he could not identify, a faint trail that raised the hair on the back of his neck with vileness. And then it was gone, but he was sure something had passed that way something wrong mm. i read that as paid and fain but i think that, uh, i think you were right mm. i think that could be the dark hounds yeah i i mean we all agreed at the end of that that we they did. were dark hounds but i've l- looked online now we just like to remind you that you were wrong <laughs> <laughs> thank you Vinny. but i looked online to try and get confirmation about this and there's nothing that i could find that says yes those were dark hounds so exactly yeah I, I anyway. also like, I mean, I did the same thing, Joe, mm. uh, clearly, uh, but um, a lot of people reference the first time that the Dark Hounds are, are mentioned in this book, but later, Yeah, which 
means that uh, because Lan, I think actually we haven't reached that point yet, but I think Lan mentions, oh, he catches a paw print or something in stone, and then he starts. He, he gives a short little spiel about mm. about dark hounds, which to me just really reinforces then that you know these probably are dark hounds. If dark hounds are chasing Rand later in the book, it's fairly safe to assume that yeah. this is sort of like a uh, an introduction to them without naming them specifically. Yeah, yeah. I mean. One does not need to see, see only the fish head and the blood in the water to know the silver pike is around. I was about to say <laughs> thanks, Swan. Waiting. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for that fucking silver pike <laughs> reference. So, yeah, in my mind, definitely dark outs. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, that's where we all landed. But agreed, Joe, like nothing conclusive online. This is all stuff that we're patching together, but I think there's enough circumstantial evidence here to, right. to make the assumption relatively well, look, safely. We are online, and now it is conclusive with us. We are the first. <laughs> yes. There you go. Maybe the next person that does the search finds our podcast first. There you go. Okay, so let's switch to a nice, nice light, um, pedantic correction. <laughs> this one is for you, Vil. Oh, Scrubbing bots. Close. It is Tar- Tarvalon related, but it is in relation to how many bridge towns there are. I think you said there were four of them. There are actually six of them. There's six bridges leading into Tarvalon, uh, of which Dien is one or whatever the, the name of the town was that they that they passed through. Varen and the girls with Matt in the stretcher mm. where they say goodbye to Huron. Still with Tarvalon, I went back to that map and I put the book down with North oriented towards 12 o'clock on a clock face. And man, the harbors are at basically 10 o'clock and 4 Mm o'clock. They are much closer to east and west than they are to north and south. So I take exception to them being called North Harbor and South Harbor. I do not. Let the world know. Let me me (laughs) drop some info on you here. Those harbors lead to the north. The river from that harbor goes to the north of the continent and the harbor at the bottom goes to the south of the continent. It's where they are going, not where they are situated. Excellent. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe, you're done. You can go. Uh, okay, goodbye. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I will accept this. All right. The devil's in the detail, man. You could <laughs> have called it the north going harbor or the south sailing harbor. <laughs> Or anything else but just the North Harbour, wow. South <laughs> Harbour. This is really pedantic. This is a new level for us. Anyway. Uh, is it? Oh, you think that's pedantic? Let's get into the next one. <laughs> Mark's not done no. yet. <laughs> no. I'm certainly not done with callbacks, but um, this one is... Uh, yeah. you, you make up your own mind. We were talking about um, why Huron would be avoiding Varen. And I think we all landed on the same idea that he was hiding his ability from the girls, even though he knows, Varen knows that he's a sniffer. Um, and when I went back, because, I mean, obviously all these things we leave open-ended in the in the episode, I have to go and sort of scratch a bit deeper to, to find out. And where I sort of landed is the line that they use in the book is um, he, he, he's avoiding her because he looks afraid of what she might say. Mm. And my interpretation of that now is that Huron is afraid that Varen might mention that he's a sniffer and give away his game to the rest of the girls. Now, the only reason I think that he's even hiding it from the girls is that I think he is hiding that ability from people in general. It is, 
so easy for people to think it's something of the dark, it's something they don't understand, mm. it's weird magic and that sort of thing. And I think he has instinctively through the years gotten into the habit of trying to suppress that information. Like don't, don't let people know that you've got this weird ability well, that they might never have heard think of. Think about it. If, if you've got an ability that makes people drag you to places where gruesome murder has been done, <laughs> yeah, and you're not particularly a person that gets a kick out of smelling this death, you kind of like also wouldn't want people to know because, man, maybe they'll just drag you to all murders all the time. Not only that, but you're living in a world where people get, you know, like killed for being assumed to be a dark friend. Someone draws a dragon fang on your door and everyone's up on oh, up in arms. Burn your house witch. down. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and if I look at it like more sort of holistically about Huron's life and how he always tries to hide that from people that don't know. It makes more sense that he's avoiding Varen so that she won't absentmindedly say something about it or ask him to like, you know, go smell this thing or something because at this point it is still a secret uh, from Nynaeve, Elaine and uh, Egwene um, and um, he's probably just trying to keep it that way. Okay, moving on. Um, I keep referring to my relief Whenever Rand and Perrin have a interaction or make reference to the fact that they're friends or act friendly towards each other, because I keep referring to this betrayal that Perrin experiences at the hands of Rand later in the story. And my memory around that was fuzzy. So I thought, okay, let me go look at what this actual event was and find out whether I should even be considering that when I'm looking at their interactions now. Um, And it comes from A Crown of Swords which is, what's that, book seven? And it's in chapter 27. Rand and Perrin stage an argument because Rand is trying to remove any kind of suspicion from Perrin and send him away, obviously, as he's wanting mm. to do, you know, to protect him. So they that stage this argument. But during this argument, Rand actually loses control. And he gets so angry, he throws Perrin against a stone column. And Perrin says he actually thinks he broke some ribs and his mouth Mm. is bleeding when he leaves. So this whole thing was supposed to be staged, but they have an argument about how Rand is treating the Aes Sedai that have sworn fealty to him. And Rand loses his shit. He shouts at the sky, I am the dragon reborn. I will treat these Aes Sedai as I see fit. And he throws Perrin with air against the stone column and breaks some of his ribs. Like cool you said that you were going to stage an argument just it's rein it in a little bit rand like i mean this is your one of your best mates from from back home and i think that has just always um stayed with me you don't even see the scene in real time perrin recalls it like the the chapter starts with perrin walking away or like he's busy going somewhere else and he then thinks back to this um to this argument and it's like Shit. Okay. So you're not even like, you're not even in Rand's head or in Perrin's head when it's happening. Um, you don't get like any insight into, you know, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, turn it on too strong or anything like that. All you have is this anecdote of Rand losing his shit in front of everyone. Everyone's sort of just looking away and him in front of a bunch of people throwing Perrin across the room and injuring him, which, hmm. you know, is a betrayal in itself. Well, Rand is insane. Um, especially yeah. by book seven. He's, Deep oh, yeah. in the river of madness, and uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and it's easy for him to lose his shit. A lot of pressure. Uh, uh, mm. know, I'll let it slide. He's done far worse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. 
Um, but that's that's the event that sort of um, is always in the back of my mind so that every time they have a, an amicable interaction, I'm like, phew, okay, great. They're <laughs> oh, still friends. They're still no friends. broken ribs. Close no call. broken ribs. I can, I, can, I can let down my guard at least until chapter 27 of A Crown of Swords. Yeah. Then I had an interesting thought just listening to our episode, and this is not even really a – I don't have a definitive answer here, and there might just be fodder for more discussion. But do you think Moraine leaves Gnome's cage unlocked specifically so that Perrin has the option of either setting him free or locking it again? Because yep. after she's spoken to, to Gnome, she comes out, and they mention that she doesn't bother – uh, clinch, uh, cinching the lock again or like closing the lock and then she mm. leaves in, in reading that again i feel like maybe she and, and you know expecting perrin again afterwards like she knows as they go down there and they see gnome and she she sees what's happening she looks at perrin she knows that this is going to have a massive effect on perrin it's why she's waiting for perrin to knock on the door later yeah. um I, I like to think that she specifically left the lock unlocked so that perrin has the option of either letting him go or locking him up again i'd agree yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think that uh, that was there. Whether the outcome in her mind was parent taking yeah. the axe to the wolfman or yeah. setting him free, but she was going to allow him to make that decision. Yeah. Um, maybe that's blatantly obvious to everyone, but I just yeah. had that thought after listening to our episode twice and reading that passage again. <laughs> like I had to like ingest it a couple of different ways and a couple of different times to actually come to that conclusion. Still on the topic of Gnome, we have joked about like, oh, wouldn't it be great if Gnome comes back in the last battle? <laughs> he does. Guess what? Ah! <laughs> Gnome reappears. And we've got this one uh, courtesy of Aisha Jan, who's written in again on Facebook and said, um, Gnome does in fact return. Um, he comes back in the wolf dream as a wolf named Boundless. And he actually accompanies Perrin on a hunt for a white stag, which I can't remember much about, but, you know, Maybe huh. it's Perrin's training or something, but he, he joins Perrin there. Um, and after Perrin encounters Boundless in the wolf dream, he learns that Gnome, as a human, was enduring great suffering of some kind. It's, it's not elaborated on here, but it was only after he fully became a wolf that he was free from that. And if Boundless is, you know, hoppers in the wolf dream permanently, maybe the gnome entity died and now just lives on as boundless in mm. um, in the wolf dream. Doggy but heaven. yes, he very much does come back. <laughs> Doggy heaven, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now the last one. We have at various different moments speculated about whether Nynaeve and Egwene could also be Taverin. And um, Aisha Jean also mentioned that in this regard, um, they have a, the opinion that they are not Taverin because neither Swan nor Loghain ever make mention of seeing any kind of glow around them or anything like that. But my only response to that would be that I can't recall, again, that means nothing. Listeners, let me know. Um, I can't recall Swan or Logan ever making any comments about Matt or Perrin glowing either. Mm. They only made comment about Rand. Only Rand. So Matt and Perrin confirmed to Verin. No mention of mm. glows around them. I don't know. Maybe Logan does later in the story. I don't know if Matt and Logan ever cross paths, but I'm, I think Perrin might. 
Um, so to me, just because neither Swan nor Logan says anything doesn't mean that it is not the case. And, you know, to further fuel my own theory, I would even say maybe Swan tasks the girls with this impossible job of finding the Black Archer members when they are woefully ill-equipped to do so because maybe she does see something about them and puts them in those situations to let their Taveran nature potentially sway things in their favor. Hmm. (laughs) There's a lot of inner monologue from Swan in these next few chapters, and that doesn't really come up, I mean. But it it doesn't, no. Anyway. um, Another open-ended question. (laughs) Well, yes, yes, very much so. I mean, this is a topic of much debate online, right? Like people Mm. talk about this all the time, and it is never, ever, ever in the story ever confirmed or stated explicitly that the girls either are or aren't Taverin. We just notice all these things happening around them and we go, that is very lucky or like that is weird or anything like that. And that's why people are, you know, asking that question in the first place. Just like in chapter 15 coming up in Mm -hmm. this podcast. I was just going to draw an arrow (laughs) straight to that. I even wrote in my notes in big capital letters, Taverin. So we'll get there. Same. Same. Now, mm. Rowan actually wrote into me after I had made those notes, and a friend of the show, Rowan, wrote in and he said um, he enjoyed our discussion about it. He also thinks that the girls are Taverin, and then he pointed me to a quote in this book. Um, in chapter two, Sidin, there is this quote Egwene, Nynaeve, Rand, Matt, and Perrin, all five from Eamon's Field in the Two Rivers. Few people had come into the two rivers from outside, except for the occasional peddlers and merchants once a year to buy wool and tobacco. Almost no one had ever left until the wheel chose out its its taverin, and five simple country folk could stay where they were no longer. Ha! Well, there you go. Conclusive. (laughs) (laughs) It's not conclusive. Certainly interesting, right? Like, I mean, calling them all out by name, mentioning that the wheel has chosen its taverin, and then saying that five of them couldn't stay there anymore. I mean, if the boys left, Egwene and Nynaeve could have stayed. But if the wheel chose its Taverin and they all five couldn't stay, I don't think it's too much of a leap to assume that they, you know, are coloured mm. or tarred by that same brush. <laughs> tarred by that same brush. <laughs> nice way, yeah. Like, it's not cool to be Taverin. Tarred and feathered as a Taverin. No, I mean, I've never doubted, well, not never doubted, I've just never thought about it before this, recording this podcast, but since I've started this reread, it's clear in my mind that they're, they're Tavir, and I've, anyway, that's just what I thought. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to that, and that quote from, you know, that Rowan pointed me to certainly pushes me a little bit further along that road as well. That is it, boys. That is Ooh. all the callbacks that uh, that we will need to do this Ooh. week. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> We've had longer, so don't worry. It's not like they're getting longer and longer and longer. Um, So let's get into the good stuff. Uh, We're picking up from Chapter 12 this episode. So Chapter 12 is called The Amaralyn Seat. And why don't you take us through that, Jody? I shall do that. Uh, We join up with Swan uh, as she's pacing the length of her office. Uh, hmm. So the girls have just arrived and Varian's just arrived, obviously, in the previous episode from the last podcast. So now, we, now we're upstairs with, with the head honcho. She's heard that Varian has returned and she's 
pacing around nervously and glancing at her little black box of secrets that she has on her desk, which <laughs> is apparently filled with documents in case some shit goes sideways and she has to do some stuff. All right. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. night. It's a night wood box. So I assume it's black. It's just my, mm. you know, my thoughts. Makes sense. So she, yeah, she's deep in thought. Tons of exposition going on here. Uh, it's in the book. You can go read it. When Leanne pops her head in, <laughs> I'm not going down that road. Varen has arrived and she's outside and wants to chat. And before Leanne has even finished asking if it's okay, Swan's like, yes, send her in and immediately realizes, ah, oh, shit, I should have played it cool because things have changed in the tower since we've last been there. And we'll hear about that soon. Um, anyway, Varen has a lot of news. So Swan tells her that uh, when, she's, when she comes in, Swan tells her that she has warded the room so she can speak freely. And this is a surprise to Varen. She raises mm-hmm. her eyebrows, which is the Aes Sedai gasp, basically. Things yeah. have changed. So, uh, yeah, info dump from Varen. Point one, Rand has proclaimed himself the Dragon Reborn. That's first on her list. This is mm-hmm. kind of a relief and uh, not so much a relief, I suppose. <laughs> Terror could be the other word yeah. for it. Um, shit's getting real. Shit's getting real. Okay, it's confirmed. That's good. But on the other hand, holy shit, the Dragon Reborn is going to kill us all. Um, and as soon as he did, ironically, uh, the other two false dragons were immediately captured and or killed in battle at the exact same time while they, it was um, Taim up in Saldea and the other one was in Tyr, right? He was in uh, fighting with the Tarians. so. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they killed that one. They never even found out what his name was. <laughs> his, both of their horses <laughs> reared. As soon as Rand pro- proclaimed himself and he appeared in the skies above Felmy, this also happened, it appears, I don't know if it happened all over the world or if it just happened in the areas where there were other dragons or false dragons. Mm. Because this fla- that flash in the sky appeared above their battles as well. Their horses yeah. reared and they fell off and knocked, got knocked unconscious. The other guy down south was immediately executed, whatever his name was. No one will ever know. <laughs> uh, and Taim was captured. So the pattern has got its dragon. There's no need for any others. So cheers, dudes. Thanks for stopping by. Um, second point, he has the Horn of Valia in a sack <laughs> that I've carried across <laughs> half the country. Um, she's like, holy crap, you can't just carry it like that. She's like, yeah, but no one's going to notice. I mean, no one's going to, no one's going to think those travelers, you know, are carrying the <laughs> Horn of Valia. So hide it in plain sight, basically. Oh, and mm-hmm. by the way, Matt blew it, not Rand. And he is downstairs dying from the taint that the dagger is giving him. So lots of shit's going down. And there's a... There's a point here where you get the typical Aes Sedai from Swan and she's already making plans for the next blower of the horn because she's thinking, okay, he's dying. Do we actually let him die and then get someone else? She even thinks one of the warders. Who can I get to blow the horn after that so that I can control yeah. the horn of Valia? Yeah. So they're not all, I mean, she's, a, she's good. You know, we try and think of things in terms of who's a good person, who's a bad person. Like, obviously, the Black Aja, bad. But mm. these Aes Sedai are not all, it's not all black and white. So, hey man, no. they got to make plans for every eventuality. Exactly. That's why she's got that little black box. It's, uh, it's hard to say like, yeah, but maybe they can't heal him. They've already tried. They've had a couple of goes at it. Yeah, they've had individual Aes Sedai, you know. But even Moraine said right in the beginning, if we could, must take him to the tower there, they can make a circle and they can 
you know, everyone channeling together, maybe they can do something. So she hasn't even reached, she hasn't even thought about that. Her first thought is, huh, let the bastard die and then we can find someone else <laughs> to take over his place. She didn't quite say let the bastard die, but she's kind of like, paraphrase. you know, you've got to, you've got to think <laughs> about this and, yes, you know, Tamron Garden is coming at the end of the world. You know, you want to have your best army in control of not a gambling young lad that sits in the bottom of Aldara's uh, peasant holes throwing dice at shoes. In Jody's defense, Matt is a bastard. <laughs> Swan, Swan just doesn't know that yet. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. Maybe he, she doesn't think that's son of a bitch. She's just like, he's a tool. <laughs> Everyone else in the world is a tool for her to use to get, you know, what she wants. So the option is there. Although she doesn't quite realize his epic deviranness would never allow that to happen anyway. So, mm-hmm. But it is a thought. It's an option. It's on the table. Also, uh, point number three in the info dump. Varen has brought the three runaways back, but of course Swan already knew that. It's just for us. And point number four, the Sean Chan used the one power in battle. And mm-hmm. I'm very disappointed in Swan here as she kind of like, yeah, but they, they ran away. They went back across the sea. We're not going to worry about them now. Like, Jesus. If there's anyone you need to worry about right now, it's those people. Yeah. And the, the, the damage that they've caused to the Aes Sedai reputation as well. Like the news is spreading across the land that totally. Aes Sedai are helping the Sean Chan. We know it's wrong, but it doesn't matter. And they're using the one power in battle. And these yeah. guys are someone, you know, someone you've got to take seriously. But she's not. She goes on about silver pike and lionfish and all kinds of weird shit. Mm. Can't worry about the lionfish out in the ocean when the silver pike are eating through your nets or whatever. Vili, I suppose you know the exact quote to that. No, Vili's just staring at me. <laughs> the shark will t- chase the uh, lionfish into the shallows and eventually die from its sting or something of the sort. All right. Well, that didn't really clear anything up, but okay. There's sharks and lionfish <laughs> and silver pike. All, all I heard was fish, 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 fish. <laughs> you you, you got to deal. Okay. You got to deal with a fish that's on your line. You got to deal with a fish that's on your line, not the one that you want on your line. Okay. All right, there you go. That makes more sense. Thank you, Billy. Um, so Varen <laughs> asks what she plans to do with these uh, three runaways, Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine. Egwene. And Swan gives a typical Aes Sedai answer, which is the truth. But obviously, we know she has plans to get them involved in some sort of hunt for the Black Aja. So she just says, after I'm done with them, they'll wish that they were ground into sausages or something. I don't know. This is not a fish metaphor <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> or anyway. sell themselves down at the Harvard side or something or like that. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. so they're going to they're gonna wish they were dead, basically, which is true. Mm. But not exactly what Varen might believe. And um, basically, that's it. Chapter over. Chapter ends with Swan inviting Varen to sit down and tell her everything that the girls said while they were with Varen. And uh, we don't get to hear the whole story. But of course, we've already been on this journey, so we know. And that's how the the chapter ends. Short and sweet. That was a very short chapter, I must say. But it was Mm. good news. Well, not good news. It was <laughs> good news-filled information because at this point, you haven't had any much from uh, the perspective of Swan at all. No. So you don't... No. Be, I mean, playing sort of first reader, he's like, cool, what's going to happen? And pretty much what I am at the moment, again, with the, the glaring gaps of several books in my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's good to sort of just get that quick information and... It just you on to 
the next chapter, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I? Is there anything you want to add? Um, I thought it was hectic that the pattern is just killing off false dragons now that it's got the real dragon reborn. Like that's a much more active role in the prophecy than I assumed the pattern would play. Mm. Uh, I'd never noticed that before. Now this makes uh, all right. <laughs> Let's go down this little path. Um, Let's the, come with me. Now is the pattern that has the pattern spat out Rand as the dragon reborn and false dragons. Or has it spat out three viable candidates? And let's see, let the best man win. If nature and the pattern are alike, yeah. they would spawn out many at the same time for one to be successful and achieve, and then the rest will be killed off because the one that succeeded will be the best. Some of them, I know, we know Taim at the very mm. least and Logan can channel. Yeah. Um, don't know about the guy in, in tier. No one but does. If uh, no, I was gonna say, you know, like maybe if they can channel, there's other ways that they can be branded and blah blah. blah but they don't have the Aiel legacy. They're not gonna fulfill exactly. the Careerthon cycle. So I mean, Rand was always Rand had to be the dragon. No one else could be it. But maybe like Vili's saying, like in nature, like, you know, it's pushing one thing out, but it's not clean and clinical. Like, here's your dragon reborn. Mm. There's sort of like, you know, stuff that comes along with it. And there are other people that can also channel, also rising up. Um, maybe the proximity of Tom and Gaidon um, is sort of, ma- and the pattern, you know, spinning in that direction is sort of sweeping up these other male channelers as well that are then just proclaiming themselves as dragons. Mm. Um you know, as part of like just in the wake of this inexorable path to Tom and Godon with Rand at the at the tip. I say, why Don't create know. them? Why create them at all? Maybe uh, unless they're backup. To create plans. confusion. Why would the patent want to create confusion? I think that's the only thing. Like just to create the, that chaos at that moment. Maybe to I mean the dragon Rand. having to procreate himself has to go through a whole lot of yeah. Take the heat off Rand. Mm. Yeah. He's got okay, a, he's maybe. got also, you're not born like land with a sword in your hand. He yeah. was born with a, a shovel and a hoe in his a hand. Plow. <laughs> a plow. <laughs> and he had to all of a sudden go from thinking he's going to marry a green, a Gwen and <laughs> live in the mountains all happy to all of a sudden being the most feared person in the world. So. I read somewhere that there are ongoing theories that one of the older false dragons, something starting with a G, um, Amalassan, Gear, Amalassan, whatever his name was. Gear or something, yes. Yeah. That people think that he was a dragon, but he didn't make it all the way through the the prophecy. I I read about that. There's in the book somewhere. Where was I? I was also reading that. Oh, interesting. Maybe you and I just frequent the same corners of the internet. Maybe. I, mean, I know we do. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you there. <laughs> like this corner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, Joe. Like, it's a good question. You know, like if, if Rand was always going to be the Dragon Reborn, always had to be, you know, the son of an Aiel, always had to go, you know, go back into the waste and, you know, break their, break their, what was it? Slay them with a sword and break them oh, with a leaf peace. or whatever oh, it is. Oh. Yeah. No, I think this that we came up with now, like to take the heat off Rand. The, the pattern knew that one, he yeah. was because he meets all the criteria and these other guys don't, but he has to survive. 
So, mm. I mean, look, these other guys are in battle the whole time. That's really occupying a lot of armies trying to kill dragons. That is not the That's right true. one. Dividing the attentions of the Red Archer. Mm-hmm. Right. So the pattern has a plan. The, battle's br- the pattern is brutal. Like, not <laughs> caring about these other guys at all. It's nature's cruel, man. Yes. It is. And it's not, it's not exact. It's not precise. You know, it's always messy. I had a bit of a chuckle when Swan says, at least he's safely in Moraine's hands. Yeah. <laughs> he's in the bush <laughs> fighting dark hounds by himself, no horse in the night. She even mentions, yeah, like, can I trust Moraine? You know, like, oh, well, that's later in the chapters. Yes. But anyway, there's, during these chapters, like... It's later, yeah. Yeah. Can, she's always believed she can, but even Moraine is like... Yeah. Ah. And that's her closest confidant. Yeah. Um. <laughs> on the same topic in this chapter, Swan is exasperated by Moraine's unpredictability. She's like, or has Moraine come up with some other plan? Now? <laughs> yeah. you know? He hasn't told me about <laughs> Their 20-year plan got flushed when they met in Feldara. Oh, yeah. by the way, we're going to just let Rand go to Ilian by himself. Yeah. <laughs> what? No. That's not what we agreed. <laughs> uh, my last note for this chapter is just a, another one of those really cool turns of phrase that uh, Robert Jordan used. And that is when um, Varen is talking about the Damane or, you know, like women using the one power as a weapon. Um, he says... Even dry ink on paper carried an edge of hysteria when they wrote about that. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. You know, like even just you can see it in their writing, but specifically not like in their handwriting or anything. Mm. Even dry ink on paper carried an edge of hysteria. It's cool. Yeah, it's almost as if he could write. (laughs) It's weird. It's weird. You should should write a book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or 12. Yeah, I think it was 15 in total, plus we're not counting Conan books and all the other stuff he wrote. Yeah, I was also not counting the Sanderson books. You can't, what, you're not counting the Sanderson books? That's a lot of kudos given to Sanderson there. As books that Robert Jordan wrote? No. All right. (laughs) We're going down this pedantic path again. Yes. (laughs) Hey, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but I can be pretty pedantic when it comes down to it. (laughs) You don't say. Stop it, Jody. Stop it. <laughs> You're going to provoke Stop him. fueling the fire. <laughs> Don't provoke it. Uh, speaking of um, provoking my pedantry, Vili, why don't you take us through the next chapter, chapter 13 called Punishments. Ooh. Oh, yep. Now we he go. has the scrubbing of pots. <sighs> Man. <laughs> Did you Man. purposefully give him this chapter, Moritz? Well, when I read it, I was like, all right, no, 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 I see it. There we go. There's that's the why. It's not why I gave the chapter to Vili, but when I saw it, I mean, every time I see it now, I'm going to chuckle. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Egwene and Elaine, uh, they are in their novice quarters. They're very fruitfully described novice quarters with their beds built <laughs> into the walls, which uh, makes you obviously better understand how they have this little section of communication with each other. The beds and the walls, I would assume, would be side to side so that they've got a thin wall in between them that they've drilled through over the time and they've got that little whispering thing lying on their sides and mostly crying about scrubbing pots the days before and (laughs) get to have a little chat after hours. But anyway, I digress. The Eguin and uh, Elaine are talking about this that they are facing. They're very uncertain at the moment. 
the word stilling has been brought up mm-hmm. and mm. that thought just absolutely frightens uh, Egwene to death. That's like, no, I'd rather run away. And Elaine listening to this, like, yeah, well, I'll come with you. Like, already planning that if this is the, the, the set outcome for our adventure that we got kidnapped on, um, we'll definitely run away. And uh, yeah, so uh, Farlane bursts in while she, they were still talking and discussing this uh, cruel eventuality or possibility and sort of giving her a very fake smile. Oh, you're having a little chat. Because I mean, every Aes Sedai that's come through as a novice will know about these little holes. So, mm. I mean, there's no secret to it. It's kind of like that. Mm. We'll let you have your little... Mm. They've probably got some bloody wards on there that eavesdrops anyway on those little tunnels. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Be a prime spot for them. Yep, it, it would. I mean, yeah, anyway. So she's uh, handing out to, oh, you're having a good, what are you talking about? And she's kind of like, rub it off. But uh, she's like, no, the uh, Emeron will see you now. Got to get ready. And she takes just that much more time than she probably should. Now nicely dressed. Egwene. Yeah, Egwene. Taking that much more time than she probably should in getting ready, getting up, smoothing off her skirt. She's got a white belt on again with a white pouch in a white dress. And uh, they meet up with Elaine in the hallway and the two accept to take the two novices um, to the Emerald seat. Eventually, they're hitting some big corridors. They meet up with uh, Nynaeve who has been uh, brought out by the other accepted. Forget her name now. Uh, Theodron? Theodron, that's right. And she gives the two girls, Gwyn and Elaine, uh, a warm, comforting hug, I suppose. Sort of like, yep, we are in this together. And off they march up into the, um, what do they call that room? The antechamber. Antechamber. And that's where they get sort of caught up in the gaze of uh, Leanne, who's now basically getting them ready to come into the room. She asks the three accepted if they had any problems getting the girls, uh, Egwene, Elaine, and Neneve, to come peacefully and without uh, any problems. And uh, Farlane then purposefully just lies about getting more trouble from Egwene than uh, there really was, uh, to which she got uh, the opposite effect out of um, uh, Leanne. Who then tells her, well, when you are asked to bring someone, you're not being asked to drag them by the scuff or lead them or something of the sort. And uh, you should now go to some other Aes Sedai and uh, you're going to go and rake the spring lawns pathways while you contemplate this, which was quite nice. I don't think she lied, but she was taking a lot of you know, pleasure in making it sound like Egwene was giving her shit, mm. which she was. Well... Yeah, there's an interaction between Farlane and Egwene when when she comes to call her. She comes in all like smiling and saying, oh, you're whispering to your friend. And Egwene remembers that they had been commanded to only speak to Aes Sedai Mm. or face punishment. So Farlane knows if she can coax Egwene into talking to her, she'll be setting her up for more punishment. But Mm. Egwene is onto her, so she doesn't say anything. And she just gives a little smile or something and foul lane, like immediately her facial expression changes. Like, okay, fine. Well, just get your stuff and hurry up and come. And then Egwene specifically takes extra long to get her things. She's uh, like like a real fucking child. Goes and gets her little things straight and says stuff out and walks out and then like gives her a little smirk 
as she's leaving the room. So Egwene is stoking the fire there, and Farlane's temper did get the better of her. Uh, but I don't think she lied about uh, she, she may have embellished the extent to which Egwene gave her shit. But Egwene gave her shit. Oh, big, uh, a little bit. Not a lot. Just She took 30 she seconds she was longer than she should have. Yeah. I love that, by the way. <laughs> Egwene got one over her. <laughs> so um, with that, the uh, acceptance got sent away. And Leanne walks them through the door where she sort of gets to her post or... I suppose her little spot to the side of the Emerlin seat, so on. And for a very long time, they just stand in silence. Uh, Nanive tried to pipe up at some stage to only get the glare of the keeper and just shut it then. So eventually, after what felt like hours, uh, Swan looks up and says, Oh, well, so my runaways have returned. And <laughs> That was enough for Nynaeve to just like, <laughs> we're not runaways, mother. <laughs> There's no holding her back at all. And she just cracks it off and starts spilling the whole story. And it wasn't soon after she said something that Elaine piped up about the black Aja. And it's just everything from a very quiet room. It's just all the chickens going off together. So uh, to their uh, surprise... Uh, Swan tells them, I do not even speak Leandrin's name in this study. Like, and fills them into everything that has happened during the period or the months that they were away. So to summarize all of that, um, Leandrin disappeared at the same time as them. Um, and 12 other sisters. Or did they can say sisters or 12 other people? I think it's 12 sisters. Sisters, yeah. Yeah, uh, apart in this whole disappearance of the 12 sisters, they had broken into some of the stores that hold the Angriels, the Sangriels, and Terangriels, unsuccessfully so to the Sangriels and Angriels, but more so that they got their hands on some Terangriels. Um, and in this process, they did murder. I like how the way mm -hmm. she puts it, they did murder. Yeah. Uh, and in total, 21 people was murdered. That's not... Jesus. That's not nothing. I also I also did the the maths on that, Vili. <laughs> I was going to bring it up in this as well. Yeah, it was yeah. what three Aes Sedai, two warders, seven guards, and nine staff. It's like yeah, some servants. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, shit. Just like to cover their whole track, and by the sounds of it, they managed to get a bit of a lid on this news because with all the upheaval happening in all the different kingdoms all over the show. It's uh, not a good time to let you know that there's a silver pike in the fishing nets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, if anyone yes. can keep a secret, it's the Aes Sedai. Yeah, they're working their hardest at it. Um, oh, well, she tells them uh, about all of that, obviously, to sort of great surprise, like, oh, this is now turning to be really the viper's nest. Like, okay, people are dying mm. around us. And um, she then proceeds at... You know, but still, you're going to be punished for for this that you have done. You, uh, it's just it, it, Green eventually pipes up and says, like, okay, well, will we be punished or what's going to happen? She's like, no, for sure, there's going to be punishment for Elaine and Egwene who left the tower without permission. 
they will be punished. And for Nani for leaving the city without permission, they will mm-hmm. be punished. So that punishment uh, will be in the form of a hiding. <laughs> a spanking, a spanking. A, a spanking of sorts. <laughs> yeah. uh, a switching, I suppose, yes. sounds way worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will all report to the um, to Miriam's uh, Sheriam's quarters. That's always Miriam. <laughs> hey, <laughs> who is this Miriam that you speak of all the time? Sheriam, <laughs> Sheriam, Miriam, potatoes, yeah. potatoes. <laughs> and uh, uh, then, on top of all of that, there will be scrubbing a pots a plenty. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, scrubbing a pots a plenty, and to make it even worse. This punishment has now been made public knowledge through a memo out. Everyone received the email this morning. This is what's (laughs) going to be happened. This happened in our organization. The method of punishment will be this. And Mm. you all know now, and that's part of the punishment for the girls, Egwene, Nanif, and uh, Elaine, that everyone knows that they got a switching, which is not common ground. And they might be washing pots in the scullery for the rest of their foreseeable future or life. And yeah. if you think about it, Isodies live a couple of hundred years. Yeah, it's a lot of pots. That's a lot of pots. I mean, I didn't go into the detail of doing the math in this detailed sum about how many people was murdered, but that I can assume there's quite a few thousand pots they'll be washing over the coming months. Moritz, you want to scream, that's a lot of pots, don't you? <laughs> I have held myself back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but their 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 punishment's not over. Uh, they are also informed that uh, Elaine and uh, Egwene will be raised to accept it as punishment. As punishment. As punishment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on, isn't that why they're there? But yes, that plays. It's it is a great exchange from Swan because hmm. you kind of get the feeling that Swan is backing backing them. And mm. she's still got to be the mother of the house. Mm-hmm. So she's still doing what she's doing, but in a way that doesn't leave them disheartened. 100%. Just looked after, if anything. She she is, like Jodie was saying before, like looking at them like uh, tools to be used. And she is trying to give them, I mean, the fact that she's putting them on the trail of the Black Aja means that they are going to have to operate as more than just novices because novices are so restricted. Mm. So she is also like sort of pushing them along she thinks that they're ready she wouldn't push them into being accepted if she, if they weren't ready to do it but she is definitely picking up the pace even later when you when you actually read about it like they're shocked at how soon after they were told they would be raised it actually does happen yeah and swan is not making any bones about it she wants them as accepted she wants them to get more freedom within the tower so they can do their do the work for her yeah and then uh, one of the things that was brought up by swan as well as obviously her displeasure finding out that they've been using the power as a weapon um, mm-hmm. to them, it's like, we'll, we'll never touch it. We'll never do that again. Um, they're lying again. <laughs> they will. <laughs> but uh, they've, uh, they've, and she, uh, Swan, uh, acknowledges that they have learned a great deal on their mm-hmm. little three-month, four-month adventure that they went mm-hmm. on. Probably more than they would have in the tower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, more offensive magic than... Yeah, <laughs> we'll tap into that and we'll make you accept it so you can go into your fields of study, but you won't have time because between pot scrubbing and all the studying and everything else you're going to have to do, like, good luck. It's going to yeah. be a tough road ahead for you. Yeah. Like, 
that that's behind you was just easy walking, easy pickings. Uh, now for Nanive, it's not so straightforward now because uh, she's eventually swears that she'll never, she's like, if I had my way, I would put the oath rod in your hands right now or raise you to sister, sorry, not put the oath rod in her hands. Mm. Uh, the oath rod was reserved for Egwene and Elaine's hands. But I would raise you to full sisterhood. Uh, but because of your wildling block, wilder block, mm. that she can't do it because she just can't channel it. That's that's yeah. the only thing. She'll die in the test. I think it's kind of a little bit of a a prompt to her to get this sorted because you're ready to become a sister. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like in the early stages of book three. Yeah, so so it's it's starting. It's all starting. It doesn't appear to be quite as bad. And um, it's, let me just see, does Elaine actually get taken off by this at this stage already? Because of the, uh, she gets told that she's she gets a, sent out. Yeah, she's got a letter from her mother. And that's the other bit of news <laughs> that comes out quite big. Her mom her is pissed. pissed. Not, <laughs> not just a little bit pissed. Like, so pissed that she broke a thousands of year old tradition in like not even taking an Isodai as an advisor. Like mm. leaving... Elida there. Uh, we've got to Ugh. deal with her now again. Uh. Mm. Yes, but now, the interjection. At this point in Camelin, is is Ravin already there? Is he already influencing Morgays? To not take... A, like, why didn't she take Elida back? I mean, she's angry with with uh, the Aes Sedai for losing her daughter, but mm. Elida wasn't involved in that, and she's been with her for, what, 20 years or some shit? I'm thinking that like yeah. she's already been poisoned to against the Aes Sedai at this point. I don't know where Gareth is. Has he already been kicked out? Or I don't know. Mm, good point. I don't know. We have to read further, I suppose. <laughs> Raffo. Raffo, indeed. Sorry, Vili. Continue. Ah, thank you. No, right. that, uh, but that was pretty much it. They found out mm. that uh, the, <laughs> <All right. laughs> her mom is really badly pissed off. Uh, yeah. The brothers had to speak real quick to get them to even stay there. And she gets sent out, uh, leaving just Egwene and Nynaeve with the Emeril, because Leanne also had to be taken out, or to take them out, I believe. Yes. Okay, I could have just waited. <laughs> but anyway, yes, that, that's the point that I, I wanted to make before, before I forgot to make it. That's a good thought, Joe. Um, I don't think I've got anything more out of that. It's uh, Punishment is certainly an interesting chapter heading for it because it's well they got punishment scrubbing parts you know there's this the shitty things that has to happen they are going to be raised to accept it but that wasn't styled as a punishment mm. swan wasn't trying to say to them your punishment is that now you will be accepted that thing you've wanted for months mm. um but um it is cool that they are going to be recognized for what they've learned and also put them on level pegging with foul lane mm-hmm. yes that is great did you have anything else joe no, just my, my interjection five seconds before the end of this chapter, and that's about okay. it. <laughs> I have one thing. The, um, mm-hmm. the, this is going to obviously be a recurring and common theme now with Sigwain and her being trapped. Hmm. Like even in that moment that she's in the room waiting for their, their summon to come through, yeah. she's got that, I won't be trapped, I won't be kept in this room. I'm just like, this is already playing up, and she's clearly going through some... PTSD there. 
my first note from the yeah. chapter is that there are now harder edges to Egwene. She says, mm. but I will tell you this, I will not let myself be stilled. Yeah. Mm. There's, it's throughout these chapters as well, like when they were in the room there, whispering through the hole and like talking to Elaine, like if it comes to it, we're going to run away. And later on in these chapters, if, if, yeah. like, if we have to, like with the Black Aja, I'm going to use the one power to, to fight and to yeah. save my life. Like Straight up. I don't mm. give a shit anymore about anything. I am taking care of myself and I'm going to become an Aes Sedai. And yeah, nobody's going to push me yeah. around anymore. When Egwene and Elaine are busy whispering through the little whispering hole, that's when Egwene was saying, I will not let myself be stilled, mm. um, which I thought was quite ominous coming from a powerful, if untrained channeler, because uh, she knows stuff from her Demane training. Like yeah. if she says that, that's no idle threat. Uh, and then <laughs> I had a laugh at Elaine saying, will you teach me how to be a village girl? <laughs> like basically saying, yeah, she'll run away with her and go live in a village and the yeah. two of them can channel to their heart's content. And Egwene is sort of shocked by that. She's like, what? You'd be willing to do that? And she's like, yeah. You know, and that again, I, I mention this every time it comes up. I just love that they've formed such a strong bond already. Sisters, mm. man. Sisters for life. Totally. There was a point as well, one of the comments as well, when when like Egwene, Egwene was straightening her skirts and picking up a little stuff before being <laughs> laid out, like making it longer. Huh? And when she got out, Elaine, Elaine was there with her, uh, with what was it? Theodrin. And she made Theodrin look like someone who's carrying her gloves for her. You know, like they're both in charge now. Loved yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and and after the after the audience with the with the Amelin, when she's led out of the study, she's walking out with her head held high. You know, like yeah. these girls are not easy prey. Like they are too much to handle. Like yeah, like you said, Egwene comes out of the room and Elaine is standing there looking regal. You know, she's yes. being escorted by an accepted, but the accepted looks like she's there to carry yeah, her gloves. Yeah, who was the accepted? It wasn't Theodrin. Theodrin was ex- escorting Nynaeve. It was another accepted. It was Miriam. That's who it was. <laughs> um, it's also interesting. I don't know if they actually mention it, but it is, you're meant to understand here that nobody truly understands the Terangriel. They don't know how they're made. They don't know how to even yeah. delve them to find out what they do or anything like that. But I'm pretty sure it's Elaine that actually yeah. rediscovers the talent for creating them later. She's she discovers. Yeah, she gets she makes uh, Quendiyar later on. She can create that. Is it her or Igu- or Egwene that makes Quendiyar? Is it Elaine? <laughs> Come it's on, one of them. Moritz. <laughs> I was so certain. <laughs> now I'm filled with doubt. I, I see. I have this. I have this. You know, fragment of a memory of Egwene being the one that goes out in the boat at night to turn the chain across the harbor into Quandiar and is captured or something at that point. Either she figures it out and teaches Elaine, or Elaine figures it out and teaches her, but maybe, maybe. As I remember Elaine having this ability and she can delve the Tangriel and figure out what it does. And they make all those copies of the dream Tangriel. Yes, mm. and she makes all those copies. Yeah. yeah. They're not as powerful though, or something? Yeah, they're like they're a bit more. If yeah, they, the people come through and they're sort of um, not yeah. fully. They're kind of opaque. Yeah. Um, wow. I do remember. And they stuff. make. Um, I think they make copies of the Foxhead Medallion that Matt get, that Matt gets as well. Well, if she can copy everything, I suppose she can copy that. I don't recall that at all. Uh, yes, <laughs> I believe you. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? <laughs> All right, let's move on then to chapter 14 called The Bite of the Thorns. The Amelin explains that they have, for the most part, concealed the fact that Leandrin and her cohorts uh, leaving was connected to the murders in the tower uh, and no news of the stolen Tarangriel have has come out. Uh, however, she is determined to root out these dark friends in the tower. 
um, and she braces the girls for some bad news. Uh, Egwene notices that the Ammon is looking uncertain, and that is shocking to her because the quote from the book is, the Ammonin was strength personified, which I thought was just a cool observation by Egwene to make, considering her path and how she, you know, how she holds the tower and what it stands for and the position of Ammonin's seat in such high regard. She has a lot of reverence for the Ammonin. Um, so it shocks her to see Swan, so uncertain. Um, but as Swan continues talking about who she can truly trust, Leanne, Sheriam, Verin, always believed that she could trust Moraine. That's what mm. you were mentioning earlier, Joe. But mm. I just thought it was interesting that out of those four Aes Sedai she mentioned, two of them are Blackheart. Shiram <laughs> 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 and Varen. A lot more on, on that in the coming chapters. But Nynaeve gets sort of impatient and just blurts out, you know, what are you talking about? With no honorific mother or eminency yeah. to Aes Sedai, nothing. She's just like, "What are you? What are you on about?" <laughs> you know, like you, you still get the sense that Nynaeve is just she's still acting as Nynaeve, the wisdom that just yeah. happens to be in the tower. She's halfway to being an Aes Sedai herself, and she's still just, "I'm just Nynaeve. I'm just you, you fucking Aes Sedai." You know, like what are you? <laughs> what are you talking about? There was a thing there as well where she's uh, talk where the Swan's talking about who to trust. And, she, and Nynaeve's like, well, yes. if you want my opinion, you can't trust Moraine. <laughs> yes. She takes that opportunity to say, yes. well, you know, you know, you think your closest confidant? No, no, I wouldn't trust her if I were you. So the Amelin says that since uh, Leandrin was actively trying to get rid of the two of them, now that it's just Nynaeve and Egwene in the study, uh, she has to assume that they are not Black Arger. And immediately Nynaeve arcs up against like, you know, how could you even insinuate such a thing? Blah, blah, blah. She just seems like personally offended that that yes. sentence was even uttered. And that's when Swan says, uh, you know, after she puts her back in her place, she says, I wish I could have raised you to the shawl, daughter. Varen says you're already as strong as any woman in the tower. Mm. Yeah. I get the sense that Swan actually kind of likes specifically Nynaeve because they are very similar in a lot of ways. You know, they are both, you know, super super strong world mm. you know at the very least bordering on just being rude and you know <laughs> bullish all the time and bullying people around them but um you know like just just in this interaction i got i was like oh yeah she probably sees a little bit of herself in naive um and i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with that that theory that swan yeah, really actually likes her i think i think that's I mean, right swan I spends I haven't thought about it like that, but that 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 does seem to be true. Mm, I get the same feeling. Swan obviously spends a lot of time with Egwene later in the story when Egwene is raised, or even before she's raised, Swan is sort of coaching her. And then when she is raised, she advises her for a long time. Um, but in just this interaction, I thought that Swan showed a, a little bit of affection for, for Nynaeve. She then just comes out and says, you know, Nynaeve and Egwene are to be her hounds hunting the Black Archer within the tower. Um, and she also says, each of you is more than a match for Leandrin in sheer power. And she was the strongest of them. So between Leandrin and the 12 other Aes Sedai that, that escaped, Leandrin was the strongest. And Swan feels comfortable with Egwene being part of this because at least in terms of sheer power, she can handle any of them. Yeah. Now, do you guys remember what the size of a heart is? You know, the... 13. Like the, is it 13? Okay, That's so right. it's Leandrin's heart that left. Because we know of 
multiple black sisters that are still in the tower. Varian, yeah. Sherium, Elviarn um, comes up in some of the upcoming chapters. So we know there are other black sisters. It's not like the black archer left, but a whole heart did leave. Yeah. Which is noteworthy. Also, what's noteworthy is the amount of black Aja sisters in the in amongst the Aes Sedai in the tower. It's a it's at least ten percent of all Aes Sedai are black Aja. I mean, of the named Aes Sedai that we have met thus far, it's like half of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, mm. it's huge amount. Yeah, it's, it's like it almost seems more to like fifty percent for me. Like if you, totally. if you, we've been going through this now, obviously as the spoiler cast and with all like. Oh, duh, mm-hmm. the obvious. Mm-hmm. But I mean, every name is like, that's ironic because the first three sisters they meet are Black Archer. And yes. even in there, it's Varen's yes. Black Archer. Leanne? Leandrin? Leanne is not. Leanne is not. I was just wondering about Leanne now. But Shiriam? Shiriam is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, they're right there still in the thick of everything. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, the girls protest to no avail. Um, and when they ask why Elaine is not part of this, uh, this little... <laughs> I almost said witch hunt, which would just make me sound like a white cloak. Swan mentions that the hassle from, from Morgase is just too great. You know, when Morgase is brought back in line, Elaine can actually join them. She actually, you know, also considers Elaine as part of a potential group to to hunt the Black Archer. And then uh, when Nynaeve tries to suggest that Egwene is, is left out uh, because she's too young or something, they have their sort of their usual altercation where Egwene has to remind her that she's not a young girl anymore and blah, blah, blah. And then Nynaeve reluctantly... Um, admits as much and she says okay cool look i concede you are a woman you can make your own decisions mm. um swan says that Varen will brief them on leandrin and her cabal uh, she mentions that Varen knows as much if not more than she does the fact that swan is you know admitting that Varen might know more than she does means that she since faldara at the very least she is not underestimating Varen anymore Varen is, you know, she's got the Horn of Valir. Varen is right in the thick of it. Varen is now, since Moraine, the only other person that knows what she and Moraine are up to. So Varen has been given, I wouldn't say trust, but Varen has been given a lot of responsibility in this sort of plot beneath plots. So yeah, I just, I, I like the fact that that Swan is not just brushing over Varen's sort of like yeah. aloof nature anymore. You know, she knows. And then lastly... She gives the girls a signed and sealed letter, giving them the Amelin's authority to pretty much do anything. Do they each get one, I think, right? I think so. Was it just, I think they each got one. Uh, and what it says is, what the bearer does is done at my order and by my authority. Or obey and keep silent at my command, signed by the Amelin seat, which is, yeah. you know, <laughs> a source of great amusement to nine years. Like, I can make the waters do, I can make a water dance with this. <laughs> yes. This one is quick to say, do I need to take that away from you? Are you going to be able to do this? <laughs> take this fucking seriously. I just meant, okay, this gives me a lot of power. I didn't think I would have. But she dismisses them. And as they're sort of being shown, shown the door, they, they keep trying to ask about Matt. But Swan is basically stonewalling them, um, just saying that she'll, she'll send word. Um, and that's how that chapter ends. No, that was quick. Something about those letters, that, that's a double-edged blade for sure. Like, in, mm. if you show that to the right person, it's going to help you. You show it to the wrong person, mm. you're going to get your head chopped off instantaneously. Mm. Uh, someone's going to, you got to get killed or saved with that. So, straight up, I mean, yeah. someone that wants that letter will straight up kill you and take it and yeah. then use it for themselves. <laughs> you show it to, if you're in a... trouble with the white cloaks, it's not going to help you shit. That's probably going to get you more trouble. <laughs> yeah. Double murdered. Double murdered, exactly. So, yeah, like, 
I think the best mm. use for that would be to make a water dance. I mean, at least <laughs> you're safe with that. It's, it's harmless. Yeah. Harmless. There you go. <laughs> Chuck my letter away. Billy, did you have anything? I mean, a lot of these sort of like study audiences and um, a couple of these tower chapters, not all of them, because there is some excitement coming up very soon. Yes. But uh, like a, a couple of them are just conversations, mm. and, you know, um, sort of setting up the, the internal politics of the tower, which are interesting by their own right, but it's not, you know, it's not the gang riding their horses into a full-fledged battle with Trollocs and Madral. No, the only thing I was going to bring up, obviously, the we didn't touch on the wards that has been placed um, the, on the box, or did we? The one where she keeps all her no. uh, black little wooden no. box. Like yeah. It was quite interesting that, okay, she grabbed those letters out there, and after sifting through different letters and different eventualities that can happen, mm. and gave them those, that it's remembering, like, if the wrong hands open that up, all of them will burn immediately, including the hands yeah. that touch it. And reminding the people not to touch what they shouldn't touch. Yeah, yeah. I'm so almost so intrigued by that little black box now. Like, what else is in there? Like, this is the Amulet Seat. This is the most powerful woman in the world, most powerful person in the world. That might be triggered by the fact that later in the story, when Elida is Amulet, the girls go into Tel Aranriad and they go rifling through those letters and they try and read them as quickly as possible before they start disappearing and like you know reorganizing and stuff. Like uh-huh. they're trying to get info out of Elida's equivalent of that box. Oh, right, but that's a lot. Those are Elida's letters. I'm just wondering about these yes. ones. Like, what are those eventualities? Like, this yeah. is a whole other series of books can be written about those letters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, these are the letters going to Shara. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wait, quick, close that door. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Um, cool. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Let's uh, let's move on to the let's move to the action. Jody, why don't you take us through chapter fifteen? The Gray Man. Ooh, l'action. Yes. <laughs> so now uh, we're following Nynaeve and Egwene. Egwene? Whatever. As they're leaving the Emerlin <laughs> study. And they are worried. Duh. And uh, talking about their new, their new mission that they've been given. Which I find super irresponsible. Because they've just been told there's Black Aja. And here they are walking around in the hallways talking about it. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Open your eyes. <laughs> if there are Black Aja there, which there are, um, they will be watching the Amberlin study and they would see these two leave and then listen to what they have to say. If I was in the Black Aja, that's what I'd be doing. But anyway, so they blah, 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 blah. Um, but Nynaeve is not so foolish because she knows that Leandrin saw them as a threat. But she can't figure out why. I know the Emerlin just mentioned it as well, but she she's she's mm. figured that out on her own. And if that if she saw them as a threat, she still sees them as a threat. So if they're still alive, mm-hmm. uh, and Leandra knows that they're still alive, that their lives are still in danger, and they got to tread very carefully. So Nynaeve is becoming more level-headed. Is another note that I have here. Uh, in the previous chapter, Swan actually tests her to see if she can control her temper. And Nynaeve mm-hmm. does. She has those little outbursts that she had in the beginning, yes. like, what the fuck is going on? But later on, she holds her tongue. And Swan mm-hmm. actually comments like, oh, I see you can hold your temper. So she is yeah. getting it under control. And she's becoming more level-headed um, in general. She's also regretting her actions against the White Cloaks, where she you know, got let out her anger and let it take control of her. And she's, she wishes that she hadn't done that. So she's really growing as a, as a person as well here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
so Naive accompanies Egwene all the way back to the novice quarters, where they go and knock on Elaine's door, but she isn't there yet. I wonder where she is at this point in time. Maybe scrubbing pots, I imagine. Because <laughs> uh, she did leave with Leanne, and she, I thought I figured she might have gone back to her room, but she isn't there. No, she was taken straight to Shiriam's quarters for her, oh, yeah, from her mom she... and for her switching. Yeah, all she's right. going to get beaten up and then sent to the pots, I suppose. So anyway, that's where she is. And Nynaeve says that uh, she wants to talk to, to both of them. That's why she's looking for Elaine. So she's got, some, she's got something that she wants to say, but we never find out what it is. And Egwene also wants to know. So she grabs Nynaeve at the shoulders to like stop her and say, like, what the? And then that's right at this moment is where something flashes before her eyes and clanks against the wall. And it's a crossbow bolt. And not just any crossbow bolt, one with like four sides for piercing armor, some crazy, crazy heavy duty crossbow bolt that nicks her ear and misses her head by millimeters. And um, this is where I've got that massive note that says <laughs> Taviran. <laughs> Taviran. <laughs> Taviran. <laughs> Argue all you want, but she stopped exactly at the right time. This, this, uh-huh. this is not luck. So this, this crossbow bolt just misses her head. Misses both of them. I think she says that if they didn't dodge it, if they ha- if it hadn't missed them, it would have killed both of them. It would have gone through her head and Nynaeve's. Ah, so that's why it's that special kind of bolt for piercing armor. So it could kill two mm. people with one blow. Multiple right. skulls. Multiple skull piercer. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, Nynaeve immediately tackles her to the floor. Na- like, Egwene is still like in shock, but Nynaeve jumps into action, throws her to the floor, and that's where they're like, lying on the floor. They see this, this crossbow bolt lying there. Uh, that almost killed them. Um, this is where Egwene name drops our podcast. I'll shout out to her. Uh, <laughs> Blood and Ashes. And Nynaeve pulls a, a Captain America and tells her to watch her language. She's doubled that with the Blood and Bloody Ashes as well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is noteworthy. Sorry. Just to drive it home. Blood and Ashes. Blood and Bloody Ashes. Just talking like Matt now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uno, even. <laughs> So, but Nynaeve as well, like, Nynaeve is just, ah, this is why Swan likes her so much and wants her to be a sister, because she uh, has a plan, she's hit, she's, you know, uh, got her head on, on her shoulders properly now, she reacts mm-hmm. when the bolt hits, and she's already embraced Sidar, she's on the floor, and the globe is around her, and Egwene mm-hmm. is still lying there, like, she would have still been standing, and she hasn't embraced Sidar, in fact, she tries to, but she's so nervous that she keeps fumbling, she can't actually, she can't actually make it happen, she can't, uh, embrace the source um but i suppose that attempted murder is is pretty uh, like something that makes you angry <laughs> like if someone tried to murder me i'd also be pretty pissed what the f- <laughs> <laughs> how dare you uh so Egwene's still struggling to to, to embrace sidar um but eventually she uh, she does get it and uh her first her first instinct is to channel lightning <laughs> this is her days from from hanging <laughs> out with the sean chan and she uh-huh. has to like suppress it because she can feel the urge inside her growing to just release this lightning and just fucking kill anyone around her. But Nynaeve is like looking around. They're trying to find out where this crossbow bolt came from. They assume it's a man because if it was a woman in the tower, they would have just channeled and killed them. So it must be a man with a weapon like that. Um, and Nynaeve spots the attempted assassin down the hall, up the ramp or something like that, and wraps him in air. With, which is a little trick she learned on a certain boat ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Amberlin uh-huh. seat that she uh-huh, she didn't the Amberlin didn't think that she would remember that held on to there for a while filed that one away for later yes and she does it later in this chapter as well 
she only saw that weave once when the, on the boat, and she remembered mm-hmm. it instantaneously using it to catch this person across the hall, you know, like up the staircase mm-hmm. around the corner. And, uh, and she then just stands up and starts straightening her dress. And, and Egwene's like, we're lying on the floor still. Like, what are you doing? She's like, no, it's fine now. I got him. Don't worry about it. And then they go to, to go and find this assassin to go and question him and find out what's going on. And they find the man around the corner, like his back's towards them in mid-stride, busy running. He's still on the ball of his foot, but he's trapped in air. Uh, but he does have a dagger in his chest. And oh, that no... wasn't there before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How did you shoot us with a dagger in your chest? And the crossbow is missing, notably, if you did try to shoot a crossbow mm-hmm. bolt mm. at them. So the weapon's gone. He's dead. And just then, Sherim appears at the top of the stairs, obviously trying to make us believe that Sherim is the one that puts a certain dagger in a certain chest. But she's just looking at them going like, what the fuck, man? What's going on here? And uh, my, my thought when I read this chapter the first time was, oh, Sherim did it. And then the second time I was like, no, when I was writing my notes, I've got to go check this out. And it turns out it wasn't her. It was Isom who killed the man and collected the crossbow bolts. So this is our first little interesting meeting with him. Yeah, it wasn't Sherim at all. It was him. It is confirmed. So he popped into the really? tower. Really? Okay picked up all the evidence and popped back into the world of dreams because he is a very proficient dreamer. He can get into mm-hmm. and, you know, enter physically, as we all know. So he yeah. jumped into the tower, collected all the evidence, and then popped back out again. Cheers, dudes. But Sheriam does confirm that this is a gray man, a soulless, someone who has literally sold their soul to the devil and yeah. given it to him. <laughs> yeah. And this is the first time that the, uh, a gray man, what, we meet a gray man, you know, officially? No, no. No, we've met a grey man. Faldara. Faldara, there was one. Ah, but we meet one. Faldara, we don't meet him officially, we don't know. Well, as far as I recall, and I could be wrong, our bad memories are notorious at this point, but yeah, this is the first time we actually see a grey man, because I mean, I I think it's Mm. Egwene that even comments, like, she wouldn't have been able to pick him out in a group of three people. He is so plain, (laughs) you know, like... Yeah. That like your eyes just slide off them kind of a thing. That was always a great yeah. um, uh, way of explaining them in the books that are always remembered. Mm. But um, yeah, this is one of the soldiers that we see for the first time in my in my uh, experience <laughs> at least. And there hasn't been a, a, a gray man in the tower since the Trolloc Wars. So shit is heating up in the world, you know, that people are getting mm. desperate. Um, Sheriam hides the body under a weave. Like, so uh, obviously he gets released from the air bonds. He falls down and she covers him with a weave of air. And Nynaeve sees how she does it and actually thinks to herself, hmm, I- I'll remember that and use it later on. Because she even mentions mm-hmm. to Egwene later on that I- I've already thought of a use for that. So now I'm going to be looking out for when she uses this <laughs> later in. Because there wouldn't have so, been that line in the book if it doesn't no. pop up later. Like, she's already My thought note of a way. Is- Put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> we put a pin in that because she's going to use it later on. I don't know what for, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so Sherim's hidden the body and, and tells the girl, oh, sorry, girls, the women, we've got to remember that now, even Egwene is now considered that, to go to their rooms and say nothing. Uh, Nynaeve, she's already in black Aja hunting mode, uh, asks Sherim, what she's doing there? And Sherim's mm-hmm. like, well, I am the mistress of the novices in the novices' quarters. And who the hell do you think you are to ask me any mm-hmm. questions? So Nynaeve, rightly so, 
is suspicious of Sherium, which is a good thing. You're good, Nynaeve. Keep keep being suspicious. Yeah, follow that hunch. Yeah, Sherium is none too pleased. Uh, Agreen remembers that there's a crossbow bolt on the floor in front of her room still. Um, so she makes some excuse about being cold and wants her coat and runs away to go and get it. But when she gets there, it's gone as well. So Isom appeared where the, the gray man was, killed him, took his crossbow, disappeared again, I suppose, walked into the world of dreams, came out at back at her room through another portal, picked up their crossbow bolt, and then disappeared again. So he's, he's on it. Why is he not doing the killing? I don't know. That is another question that I have. Why send the gray man if he is so proficient? I don't yeah. know. Anyway. None of that makes sense to me because I didn't even think for one moment Isom was involved in that. No, neither did I. I just had to Google it, and that's uh, yeah, what happened. It, it, it becomes known later. Yeah, so I don't know why he just didn't do it himself. Maybe he only kills wolves. <laughs> Doesn't kill Isodai. So who put the gray man up to it? Do you do we know for, for, like canon that it is Isom? We know it's him that collects the bolts and the crossbow and and kills the gray man. But who sent him? Okay, but who who put the who put the gray man in the first place in there to fire the bolt? Who knows? The dark one. <laughs> Bella <laughs> it Masana has to be a forsaken because I mean surely that that holds more more meat than the uh who cleaned up after the mess and why would he want to clean it up then but the, none of that makes sense to me well to get rid of the evidence what evidence he's not involved in wanting to kill her well he's involved somehow because he wouldn't be there collecting evidence if he wasn't and there's still a dead body like why why did he not pull the the gray man into the world of dreams with him. No, there's the, none of that makes any sense to me. That's just a. It's okay. Let's, <laughs> we're not going to solve that yet. There's, there's no, there are no clues or lines of logic for us to follow. <laughs> we are not going to solve the Isom involvement because <laughs> up until this point, we know nothing about Isom other than what we already know from previous reads and from the internet, obviously. The obvious person on which the um, suspicion is cast is Sheriam because yeah. it even mentions when she shows up, her usual serenity is gone. Yeah, she's right there. She's flustered when Nynaeve asks her what she's doing there, and we'll still get to it. But how the chapter ends is also another great Nynaeve stroke of uh, yeah. detective mm. noose. <laughs> she's she's going she's going full Batman. And she's like she didn't even say anything about the knife, the dagger in his chest. We're still getting there, Will. Mm. Yes, exactly that. Um, but no, Will. The reason I mention Isom uh, is because I. I knew it was too obvious to be Sherium, so I googled that specifically, and that's when I saw, just stumbled upon, oh, it was Isom confirmed. And I was like, ah, oh, and that's Isom. We were speaking about him in book one. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I never even considered about all the ramifications of saying that name and then all, all these things that come up. But anyway, yeah. that's that's what happened. Because we, we speculated Isom yeah. uh, did in Faldara, that we it did. was him already <laughs> that fired an arrow at... Um, either Rand or the Emerlin, and we had yes. the Red Man, Red Shirt theory. Yes, and that's going to put me back onto the Red Man theory because <laughs> this, this, like, if Isom is this proficient hunter killer, he's doing a pretty shit job at the two interactions. He fails both times. That's zero out well, of two. He, he didn't do either of the attempts. But what is he doing there then? That's what I don't understand. He's cleaning up. They sent a Gray Man, and now when the Gray Man fails, 
he's cleaning up after the gray man's mess. Because if Isom gets captured or killed or something, that's a massive loss. There's only one Isom slash Luke. There's mm. only one such entity in the world. There's plenty of gray men. Gray men are expendable. So they send in a gray man. Gray man failed. Isom jumps in, cleans up the mess. Vies. I think there is still a room for Sherium to be acting in concert with Isom. Mm. Um, you know, it doesn't all have to be Isom. But I have not read up on, you know, the the reveal. Because I think it's it's named explicitly later in the story. I don't think people would just come up with this thing and universally accept the fact that it was Isom. It must mm. come up in the actual scripture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is how we shall refer to it from now on. Scripture. <laughs> I certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so lots of unanswered questions. Nothing mm-hmm. new there. But yeah, so while Egwene was away getting her coat slash looking for the, the, the crossbow bolt, Nynaeve was asking some very pointed questions, which we don't know what they were. But anyway, when she comes back, Sherim is even more pissed off and flustered with her, mm-hmm. with her fists on her hips. Nynaeve is very lucky here that she didn't push her too far. Perhaps she did. We'll find out later. The fact that Sherim does not actually hold Nynaeve accountable for her insubordination also yeah. makes Sherium look more guilty. Mm. Yeah, it's nothing's looking good for Sherium yet. <laughs> no, no, she is yeah. very much being set up. Yeah, so on their way back, now this is Nynaeve and Egwene heading back to their, to their rooms, Nynaeve points out correctly that it's strange that Sherium never wondered who actually stabbed the grey man, which mm-hmm. puts even more suspicion on top of her. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's that that whole chapter there, and the, this last question, all that really makes it look like Sherium is guilty, which was so overdone that I, that's why I googled it to find out if it really was her. Because it's just <laughs> too, too obvious. obvious. Yeah, like no, this can't be. So anyway, that's how that's how the chapter ends with that question hanging in the air. Yeah. What have you What have you got on that one, Will? Apart from redshirt theory, um, what else would you like to introduce into the discussion? Iceland was trying to kill the wall behind them. <laughs> I don't have that much else. I mean, they move around, they get fired in Ararat, shit goes around, man gets killed, gets hidden in a, <laughs> a air cloak. An air cloak. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nanive is picking up weaves left, right, and center, it seems. Oh, yeah. Because she just quickly saw that as well and like, oh, cool, air, I can do that. I think um, that is actually a talent, capital T talent. Yeah. Uh, quick learning. It's something that some Aes Sedai have, and all our best friends obviously had it, have it out of necessity uh, because the series is only so long and they all need to get up to speed really quickly. But it is mm. something that some Aes Sedai have that they can just see a weave and they know it. Mm. Nynaeve shows this ability as well um, as soon as they come out in Falme when they, after they get captured because they get attacked mm-hmm. with lightning and she immediately starts lightning and right back. She sees mm. the, yep. the demand use lightning and then she immediately knows it. When Sherium says to the girls not to speak of it to anyone except the Amelin, she says, but also only if the Amelin asks about it first. Ah, yeah. So if the Amelin doesn't ask about it, Sherium's instruction is basically don't talk to anyone about it. Never mention it. Yes. Which is also suspicious. (laughs) Just added to that long list of suspicions. Um, Egwene mentions in their conversation walking again, regardless of what the three oaths want she she will channel to save her own life i think this is what yeah. you were mentioning earlier joe like yeah. Gwen is again saying that she will channel and um 
it's actually one of the notes that Rowan had sent in to me as well about this this um, specific stretch of chapters that the girls are really like they're not being cowed into subservience. You know, they are they're operating within the rules and parameters that have been set before them for the most part, but they are pushing the envelope at every turn. Yeah, uh, which is really great. You know, they they're not just so intimidated by the people around them and the tasks set before them or anything like that. They are up to the challenge, which is awesome because they are super capable. This is what they learned from their experience with the Sean Chan. Um, they were mm. captured, they were cowed, and this will never happen again. And it's a bad, a shit thing to happen to them, but a good thing in the long term. Yeah, because they are they yeah. are stronger and more resilient than than ever. And they've got great instincts. Like even Egwene, you know, like earlier she was sort of flustered by the bolt almost hitting her and actually nicking her ear and stuff. Mm. But the thought to go back up to the room to go grab the bolt yeah. was really clever. That's, re- I mean, I didn't think of that. No. Um, so that's genius. I also like that how Nynaeve is using clues, like she's putting things together to sort of follow a trail, which is a, a, a cool parallel with her actual tracking ability. Like Nynaeve is a great tracker yeah, and, uh, and, you know, a person that can find and follow, you know, like small telltale signs to sort of follow, you know, prey or, you know, anything through the forest. It's pretty much what she's doing here. She's picking up on little clues and nuances and putting them together and coming up with a, with a theory. And then she, you know, follows that line of thought. Yeah. Which is rad. Yeah, that's all I had. Yeah, I don't have yep. anything much more than that. Then let us move on. Okay. Next chapter, chapter 16, is called Hunters 3. Why don't you take us through that one, Vil? What are these two girls going to do after they've been told to keep their mouths shut about something? <laughs> <laughs> Not keep their mouths shut? <laughs> they can't wait <laughs> to just do that exact thing. Anyway, let's get there. Uh, then even Egwene uh, walk into now the accepted quarters. And uh, who do they find in Nanive's room? Elaine, as well as two young men sprawled over the chairs, all arms and legs. <laughs> so uh. we've been introduced in the past to Gawain and Gallad, and they having a good go at their sister now for not telling them where she has been and what she's been up to uh, all of these years, of all of these last months. So the, bud- the brothers are badgering her for more explanations and how upset the mom was there. And how they just managed to keep her in the tower and themselves there through their fast mouths and Hmm. Elaine eventually being straight up like, there's no benefit in this for you at all. Um, So you're not enjoying doing some training with the warders there. And, uh, well, Nineveh eventually sets them straight and uh, proceeds to get them out the room with yet again a bending of the truth that they uh, do their permission to be in the accepted quarters. Uh, which they don't need. No one does, or any of them men. But still, it's enough for them that uh, she threatens them with uh, a switching from the um, the master of guards, and he's, uh, that she'll send him a letter, and she will be personally there to um, view their punishment. And I think that's sort of off the back of Gowan uh, saying to Elaine that you know he can uh, see that she's been given the switching because she hasn't sat the whole time they've yeah. been there. That's where she was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Confirmed. Confirmed. Like it's, um, it is kind of a belittling thing for a princess to get a switching. I think 
Mm, massively sure. so. And um, anyway, they eventually bolt in the three seconds that Nynaeve gave them. Um, obviously, they're walking into the room and finding the two brothers there. Egwene has a little internal um, <laughs> rose, petals, love, beauty, and thinking about wearing scantily transparent dresses in his presence. Uh, Gallet, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, which is Keep it in your pants, Egwene. Yeah, man. Keep it in your pants. Get to the action. Like, there's no time for that. Nobody got time for this. <laughs> um, but yeah, they bolt. And um, Nynaeve then, as soon as the two men are out of the room, does exactly that thing that she shouldn't do. And she tells everything in uh, Egwene's protest about no, Elaine needs to know about the Black Archer. And mm-hmm. someone else needs to know what we know outside of Swan. Because yeah. I don't completely trust her. Mm-hmm. Good instincts again. Yeah, okay. yeah. The, the Aes die is getting so uh, worked into their lives now. They they might as well just put on the shawl and be, get accepted into it now because they're really, <laughs> really uh, doing the same things that they all do. No wonder that people say Aes Sedai. Nynaeve is making calls and you know, yeah. like making decisions and stuff on the fly. And I am just super impressed by her in these chapters. Yeah, absolutely. She's just... And it's it's planning. It's not like reckless. It's kind of like we know this, but we need someone else to know this. Yeah, this method to her madness. So you kind of say like, okay, cool. Well, you know what? Can't you keep your mouth shut? And it's definitely the part that uh, Egwene has been wanting to go with this. Like, no. But yep, as as expected, Elaine is going to be. Well, I'd rather do that than scrap bots. <laughs> because sure as fuck I don't like doing that she's like well don't worry there'll be a lot of post scraping in between all the work that we have to do in between the studies we have to take on and now we also have to be the hunters of the black archer in the tower where grey men fire bolts at you and she's like what she's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah that's just in you know the, 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 the excitement doesn't stop over here but that's uh, pretty much the summary of it other than that Matt is still violently ill and at this stage Nynaeve <laughs> doesn't believe that uh, they intend to heal him. Hmm. Well, it was on the table. Hey, it, it was on the table. She didn't know about it. I was just like thinking that oh, it was clearly discussed, but no, that was a discussion Varian had with Swan without them there. Nynaeve is so savvy and her sort of like innate distrust of the Aes Sedai actually puts her in the perfect position to do this sort of investigating. Yeah. Mm. She does not take anything anyone says at face value yeah absolutely she knows the words that, that, that swan used are not the words that mean i'm going to heal matt she yes. can see straight through it immediately so her natural skepticism and cynicism is actually <laughs> a great tool for her here yeah but it's only coming to the forefront now because she did get willingly kidnapped and let out let out the tower to her almost untimely death um, by leandrin but if you'll remember, like in that conversation when Leandrin was trying to coax them out the tower, she was going, hang on, wait, where are we going? What are yeah. we doing here? Why are we doing this? And then like had to be bullied into it, basically. And eventually right. Leandrin had to use her authority as an Isidai that's mm. standing in the White Tower. Nynaeve ultimately had no power against. Mm. Well, there was a comment by, by Swan as well. Like, you, I can't believe you fell for that. Like. Mm-hmm. To being led out, so like we'll 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 train you well enough so that you'll never fall for that kind of crap again. Mm, there was a there was a big stab there, but she said that to them. But yeah, it's uh, 
kids. They then carry on that, no, she's not going to let Matt die. And Elaine's like, oh, well, I know where he is. He's in the the visitor's quarters, I think. And um, she's like straight to her cupboard, pulls out her um, bag of um, weeds and leaves. And herbs. <laughs> a bag of weed. <laughs> no, well, naive. yeah, no, naive always says like weeds and this weed root and that leaf and that, you know, her herb sack. Herb sack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's uh, not any other intention other now than just to go and um, help Matt. They're going to go and the three of them are going to channel and help Matt and heal Matt. Yeah. And they're going <laughs> to <Ambitious>. just uh, <laughs> join the streams, never cross the streams, but they're going to cross the streams. <laughs> and they, none of them know how to do it, but Nynaeve's adamant that they're going to let Matt down. She's not going to let Matt die. We'll just go heal him ourselves. Yeah, and then there's a knock at the door, and an Aes Sedai walks in. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Aes Sedai in the tower? No. It's, like a, it, it's styled as this like cliffhanger ending, and then the next chapter, the first sentence, like, blah, 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 walks in. <laughs> <laughs> Turn page. Oh, there you go. Mystery yeah. solved. I love how Nynaeve handled the boys. Oh, that's yes. exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you go for a joke. No, no, no. You've obviously got notes on it. I'm just thinking about it. Right? You read your notes. Just just the one note, like um, how, uh, you know, like Galad is just like playing it super, super cool. And mm. then Nynaeve, you know, like first of all, making up or just assuming that they don't know that yeah. they are not supposed to be in the acceptance quarters. And that's not even a rule. Like no. they can't, you know, but she fabricates this thing that they should be afraid of and then when Galad is sort of taking his time leaving the room and she's counting yeah. even towards the end even Galad is sort of like okay <laughs> quickens <laughs> his step and he just quickly darts out the door before she gets to three money <laughs> is yeah. no shrinking violet she has been doing this for a long time even as wisdom in Eamon's field it's people true. listen to her you know she yeah. you, know, you do what she says and that hasn't it's changed amazing now no. she's got even more power. Like she's only going to get uh, even better at this. Now she she would be intolerable to live with. Yeah. Except, Except for Lan. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the overmind is alive and well. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like how Elaine just like spills the beans on Gowan's feelings for for Egwene. Yeah. <laughs> like just like typical brother sister behavior. Like yeah. nothing is sacrosanct, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a shit what he wants me to give a secret. No, this is what I think. Um, but she does say there that um, because Galad saved Gowan's life when Gowan was still really young, mm. um, Gowan has this sense of almost obligation or um, debt to Galad. And if he knows that Galad, which Galad has already shown, is in- interested in, in Egwene, Gowan would never do anything about it, um, which is, you know, just makes me like Gowan more. I like him. He was yeah. nice to Rand. He's nice to his sister. He's a voice of reason when she's being, you know, her haughty self. He brings her back down to earth. Uh, he knows how to talk to his mom and calm her down. He's And he seems like a generally like a jovial, cordial guy, you know. Yeah, like I, now that I've been online a whole bunch more, doing some research on all of this, there's a lot of people out there who fucking hate him, who think he is the I know, worst. I don't get it. I don't I get it him. either. Anyway, maybe later on in the books we'll figure out why. But uh, 
he does sort of have those pained sort of leading the younglings and not knowing what to do with them that maybe yeah. turns people off but then also when he like he puts on those rings toward the end of the story that make him super fast like what those assassins used yeah sort of like he knows that it's going to kill him but he's going to do it anyway sort of thing is awesome and he's an awesome swordsman yeah and a natural leader and like you say just a general all-around good guy but he is a bit mopey he gets a bit mopey around um, Egwene later when she does not give him the attention that he feels he deserves because she's so busy with being Amelyn and all <laughs> yeah, that stuff. She is a bit busy, Gawain. Jesus. <laughs> There's shit going on, all right? <laughs> Keep it in your pants. All right. Quick chapters, these. Even this last yeah. one. Mm. I'm not going to get into an awful lot of details. Let's just jump straight into it. Um, chapter 17 is called The Red Sister. So dun, 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 the sister that comes in through the door and barges in is Elida. And she just immediately Elidas it up and starts bullying <laughs> everyone. Um, God, I fucking have no time for her. Um, she also just straight up asks them about the Black Aja. She knows that's not supposed to happen. She, I wonder if she's trying to shock them or just trying to find out whether they know something. But when they sort of you know admit to knowing about it, she's not, she's not surprised. Elaine and Elida sort of square off a little bit, um, but obviously Elida's going to win that battle. Doesn't doesn't someone like embrace the source? Is it Elaine that embraces the source or something? Like I think so. You can see a glow around her, and then reluctantly lets it go. And Elida never flinches. She never embraces it. But I mean, obviously, she's in the position of power there. Um, She makes Elaine understand exactly where she is. She seems genuinely. This is Elida. She seems genuinely invested in getting Elaine. Uh, onto the throne, being the first full Aes Sedai to sit on mm. the lion throne for, throne for however many hundreds or thousands of years or whatever it is. I think you you it's do in between all the yeah. Mm. yeah yeah the first ever known. I think mm. the, she makes it sound uh. like there had been one before, but no one knew she was Aes Sedai or something along those lines. Mm. But yeah, it, it's like it, it's a, it would be a momentous occasion, obviously. Um, and in between all Elida's sort of like prickly thorniness, you know, you do get these glimpses of her genuinely being invested in Elaine. Um, but then I catch myself thinking like, is this just because she wants to sort of like see the fruits of her labors? Like, has she been working on Elaine for so long that it's, she's her little pet project and she wants to see if she can get her onto the throne? I don't know. Like, even when a good thought about Elida comes up, I squash it down because I hate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She has been advisor to Morgais for the last what's the 20 years something like that and it's um the sole purpose and seeing this young woman grow up with the spark is to you know put on a throne and what a double one if she's an Aes Sedai so yeah I mean there's yeah. a lot vested in that in terms of having an extension of the tower in and or as a queen Oh, absolutely. I just seem, I, I feel like Elida is looking to achieve that goal, not just for the good of the tower, but for her own sort of prestige. Like she ushered in this queen, I said I, under, under her guidance. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. She'll claim it. She's that type of person. So anyway, she um, she starts questioning them about their disappearance and where they were and what they were doing. Um, and Egwene makes up some the hairbrain story about you know them going to find Matt because he was sick and they had to bring Matt back to the tower to be healed, which I found strange because a Egwene's a bad liar. She got caught out by the by Jeff from Bornhold, quick smart, um, and also they seem to think that it's this like whispers between the novices that Elida can sense a lie. You know, like <laughs> they shouldn't lie around her because maybe some part of her foretelling talent allows her to spot a lie. 
and Nynaeve bails her out from her bad lie, stating that the Amelins said that they must put all this stuff behind them. You know, like once they've done their penance and they've got their, um, their, their punishment, then all of this is behind them and they shouldn't dwell on it. Elida seems uh, proud of the fact that Elaine will be accepted, but, you know, obviously holds the fact that Egwene is being raised in much contempt. You know, she doesn't like the fact that Egwene is getting the same treatment as, as Elaine, but she quickly pivots um, from Egwene's story about Matt to Rand. And that's when the girls quietly panic, you know, like they know Rand can channel, they know what happened at Falme, they need to keep Elida off his scent completely. And Egwene is sort of worrying about this because of this this perceived ability that Elida would be able to tell, you know, when they're lying. But just then, Sherium enters. It's like a fucking revolving door on Nynaeve's room here. Yeah. And she basically squares off with Elida again. They have a little bit of a tense conversation between them, but Elida eventually moves off. Um, and when Nynaeve asks about the gray man, Sherry, like in front of Elaine, Nynaeve had this conversation with Sherium, like what, like, five minutes ago <laughs> let's be generous half an hour you know, like previously elaine is standing next to her and she asks sherry i'm so what did you do with the gray man you know like just yeah fucking going <laughs> balls out and, and sherry is just you can see like oh god okay since you're talking about this in front of elaine i can assume that you have already broken your promise um not to tell anyone I mean, she's super annoyed by it, obviously, and she makes them agree not to tell anyone else, which, I mean, I can't see the difference between what she's doing here and what she's done before. I don't know why she's expecting yeah. a different result, which, again, just makes her seem like a little bit inept um, and maybe a little put off balance. Uh, to me, like, all of these things are just, they're painting her as the obvious culprit when, yeah. you know, she might not necessarily be. Um, but then the double bluff is that she is Black Aja, you know, so yeah. you know she could actually be involved. But the reader, the first time readers won't know anything about that up until now. But Sherem says, no, uh, you guys can come with me now um, because we are going to go view Matt's healing. And the girls are surprised and obviously relieved that that seems to be the way that, that Swan is, is taking things is to actually heal him and not just let him die or outright kill him yeah. to make someone else the, the blower of the Horn of Valer. But... Um, she says, no, that it is custom in the tower that anyone that brings someone to the tower to be healed can be present when that healing happens, and that obviously extends to them. Um, and she says, we need to hurry. We shouldn't keep the Amelin waiting because the Amelin herself is going to be leading this um, this healing process, which I thought was interesting because I would think that a yellow would lead it. No mention of a yellow. But she's super powerful. I think she is one of the, if not mm. the most powerful um, Aes Sedai in the tower currently. Mm. Isn't there, there is a yellow present at that healing later on. Um, is there, okay. But also, listen, this is not an illness. It's not, it's not, it's not a sickness. It's magical related, I guess. you know. It's not specifically a yellow. It's not a capital H healing. Yeah, it's a, so to speak, yeah. Cleansing yeah. of kind. Yes, I guess. Mm. Okay. That's enough for me. <laughs> there you go. Like we, I said to a recent Twitter follower, like if I squint hard enough, I can make myself believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the chapter. Right. Well, thank God they didn't have to heal Matt because that would not have gone well. <laughs> there was again hissing by an Aes Sedai uh, in these yes. last chapters. So it's, it seems that this is now becoming one of the things that we pick up the whole time. There's a hell lot of hissing by these women. They are reptile people. <laughs> Lizard people from the center of the earth. Where is it? When um, Sherium touches the, the gray man. Yes. Yes. She hisses there. Mm. Yeah. 
Is that what Varen does when she touches that uh, ogre that had gone through the yes. waves and lost his soul? Mm. Exactly. There's a there's every there's a lot of hissing when they talk yes. about Shadow Logoth. There's hissing. There's <laughs> Moraine hisses when she sees Matt. Yes, I guess like, yes. first time in Camelin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that shit's bad, man. Oh shit. <laughs> um, not an awful lot in that chapter. Um, did you guys want to add anything in there? No, that I mean, all these three chapters could almost have been three, or six chapters could have been three. Yes, yes, well, there's a lot of they're short actually in terms of page count as well. I mean, in looking at our total recording time this afternoon, it is, uh, I think callbacks was the longest chapter. <laughs> it always is. <laughs> it always is. That's true. Um, okay, so then, did you guys remember to pick a favorite moment? Jody, you're up first this week. Ah, good. Uh, well, also, yes, I, I did not remember. You did send me a message before this recording, which then made me remember and pick one. <laughs> so my my whole, it's not just one specific moment, as always, um, or as usual mm-hmm. now, it's Nynaeve's evolution through these chapters from holding her temper in the beginning and Swan recognizing that and going, oh, all right, she's, she's changing. She can keep it under wraps to her quick thinking as a detective, her, um, you know, how she starts regretting attacking the white cloaks, all that stuff that I mentioned there throughout the time. Like she's really growing and taking charge and being way more responsible and not so angry all the time. And this is her progression towards actually breaking that block eventually and becoming the fucking badass that she is destined to yeah. be. And this oh, is where it begins, I mean, yo. Joe, I'm just going to come out and say it. That is also my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite moment can be summed up as Detective Nynaeve. Detective just how Nynaeve, yeah. fucking sharp she is. Yeah. So I yeah. agree with everything you just said. And I mean, yeah, all the stuff around that as well. Like how she's really stepping into that leadership role. Um, she's quietly just taking charge right like like you said with Egwene like she's just sort of trailing behind Nynaeve who has a plan already she is acting with uh, forethought and with a plan and Egwene is sort of just reacting still uh, just showing that little bit of an age advantage that Nynaeve has Uh, how about you Vil? I'm going to throw my favorite moment uh, to the uh, two younger girls Nynaeve and uh, Elaine ah Egwene and Elaine Mm-hmm. at uh, their handling of the accepted when they were summoned. <laughs> yeah, uh, Especially Egwene's cool. uh, taking just that bit longer, yeah. you know, not giving anything, and uh-huh. then walking out of the room to find uh, Elaine standing there regal as a queen yes. <laughs> and her accepted guard. It looks like her glove-carrying <laughs> companion. Yes, like her handmaid. <laughs> her handmaid. <laughs> that was oh, that was gold for me. That was just brilliant. Like they are so much more in stature already in that tower somehow. Totally, they are undeniable. And I mean, also the fact that Egwene then manages to get the upper hand when Fowlane sort of regales Leanne with this little episode and Leanne's mm. like, oh, okay, well, that's not what you should have been doing. No one asked you to like force them out. So why don't you go rake those leaves and think about it? Fowlane <laughs> <laughs> comes out with a punishment where she thought she was going to have the upper hand. Yeah, love these that, girls. Hey? That was great. I mean, not much action. I mean, the most action is one crossbow bolt. That clipped an ear. Yeah, that's pretty actiony, but yes, I also feel the same. <laughs> like, I suppose there was no a dagger in a grey man's chest. 
Yes. It's more like murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> murder mystery in the in the White Tower. Yeah. And uh, we had a couple of honorable mentions. One of my own is um <laughs> the boys trying to play savior, you know, like, oh, don't worry, we we we're here to help you guys and naive like just not being able to get rid of them fast enough. Like the yeah. boys were a bit of like You're in the way. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. And Rowan also wrote in and said that his favorite moment was um, just how, also related to how they do the detective work, but how the girls are just not cowed by the tower, how they give zero shits. They are now set this task and they are going to do that come hell or high water. And I mean, despite themselves actually being deathly afraid as well, they don't shy away from it. They dive into it head first, which is great. Um, and Adrian wrote in saying that her favorite moment was um, Nynaeve using the the weave that she learned from Swan. Yeah. From I seeing it that one great. time and using it to like perfection, you know, like jump down on the ground, spotted the gray man. And then, like you said, Joe, just immediately gets up, starts dusting herself off like nothing's wrong. Like, don't worry. It's taken Job's care done. Of. Yeah. Yeah. I've sorted this out. Genius. Their, their confidence level is just amazing how this, uh, especially Nynaeve, like there's a yeah. confidence about her now that, and I suppose it comes with them realizing that if Egwene and Elaine are already stronger than the strongest Black Aja, and Nynaeve has been told how strong she's going to be in the power, she's just mm-hmm. walking that role at the moment. She's certainly stepping into it, mm-hmm. yeah. One more honorable mention from me is Swan saying that she wishes she could raise Nynaeve to full sister. Um, mm. And the fact that I think Swan actually kind of likes Nynaeve because she sees a lot of herself in her. That made me just feel, you know, good about Nynaeve and her abilities and her, you know, just her capable nature. That Swan is like, man, if you weren't a wilder, if you could channel at will, I'd raise you. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so much cool shit coming, man. <laughs> like the next, like really it's, it's these next up to like crown of swords, like seven, maybe book eight, even start, book eight, it starts tapering mm. off a bit, but like, we are in for a run and a half. Yeah. With these next four the or five best books. books are still coming. Hey, I yes. mean, Shadowrun, fires from heaven, like all that stuff in the waste. Mm. Oh, it is so good. Salad Dumais Wells is still coming. Oh, don't you know? Dumais Wells me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, cool. So, to our listeners out there, send in your favorite moments, your corrections, your theories, your general comments, anything you want to talk about, anything you want us to talk about on the show. Uh, send all of that to us. You can reach us on Twitter at Blood and Ash Pod or uh, in any of the social media links in the episode description. Tell your friends about the show. Evangelize. Be Masima. <laughs> <laughs> Spread the scripture. <laughs> but don't quite be Masima. Just do it in a much more rational fashion. <laughs> but yes, do do interact with us. We really, we as you can tell, like we really enjoy hearing from from our listeners, and we try to include as much of what we get from from you guys in the show. So you know, the the door is open for you all to participate along with us. Next time we will do uh, chapters 18 called Healing through chapter 23 called Seal. Um, Did I say that right? Chapter 23 called Sealed, not Seal, singular. Not like a... (laughs) No, okay. (laughs) Or Kiss from a Rose. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> you broke Billy. <laughs> oh man, it only took the entire episode to break, to break Billy, and I got Billy's him. Just had enough. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, that sounds like a really, really positive note on which to call things to an end. Thanks for joining again. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And um, we'll see you guys all next time. Ahoy. I don't know if you could say that as a, as a parting greeting. <laughs> Ooh. Is it like aloha? Aloha. Oh, that's one for next week. <laughs> <laughs> see you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.